Welcome to another episode of Mental Conversations, a podcast focusing on positive mental health and overcoming the struggles of life. My name's Chris Sutton and I'm excited because I'm joined today in our lead studio by Chester Howarth. Chester is studying politics and economics at Nottingham University and you've been on the podcast once before. Sorry, welcome Chester. Thank you, hello. Um, and it's one of the most listened to shows that I've done. And people keep, people keep uh, even mental health professionals, saying to me, oh yeah, I listened to that podcast with Chester. Um, so, I had to have you to come back on. So, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for coming back on. I'm very glad it's been so well received. How are you dealing with the fame and inevitable fortune <laughs> that will be coming Well, I mean, I'm just drowning in riches <laughs> and fan mail now. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so thanks, Mum and Dad, um, for, for, for that feedback. <laughs> right. So what are we going to talk to? What are we going to talk about today? Um, we had a conversation about what we would talk about this time. You sent me a couple of sentences with really long words in, and I have dumbed them down so that my brain could understand them. So this is the way I've put it. So tell me if you think this is okay. Okay, go ahead. We're going to have a crack at a couple of things. Firstly. Does the fact that mental health is becoming more openly discussed in society mean that we've become hyper-aware of mental health? Is this a help or a hindrance? Mm -hmm. And secondly, does this lead to more people thinking they have a problem? Um, and does it solidify, this is my favourite bit, the dichotomy of good and bad mental health? That's the second bit we're going to talk about. We will have to unpick that and yes. unpack that. Let's be honest, I phoned you last night and asked you what that meant. <laughs> so, <coughs> I'm not proud, but we'll explain it as we go along. So, to dive in then, so why do you want to talk about this? What are your thoughts on it? Well, I think it's just something that's a little bit under-discussed. Because we, I think we quite, we quite easily digest this idea that mental health awareness is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And until recently, I'd never really questioned that. I'd, I've always thought it was really positive that we want to spread awareness and we want to try and break down stigma and make people feel more comfortable about their own mental health. Yeah. But I have started to think that actually maybe it's having opposite effects or could be having opposite effects to what we're actually intending more mental health awareness to have. So why, so why would that be? I'm just going to play devil's advocate here a couple of times, but I do have a view on this, and I've, you know, so I've got some notes, and, <clears throat> and I will impart my wisdom and knowledge <laughs> on the world, <laughs> like it or not, in a little while. But I'm really keen, because you came up with it, and I have heard of people talking about this before, but I absolutely agree with you that it's not actually talked about as much as it could be. You know, is it any, are the, what, are the, what, what is the negative side of it? You, know, you hear all the time, break the stigma, break the stigma, talk about it more, make it a norm, more normalised thing you, you can bring up in everyday conversation. And, um, you know, mental health's the same, uh, should have equality with physical health, and people should be able to talk about it as openly as I've got a broken leg being the ultimate kind of example that people use. Um, so what do you think these negatives are then? What, what is this flip side? So I think... There's a, there's a couple of things. Mm -hmm. um, so I think first we need to actually think about what it is that we mean by mental health. 
Yeah. So when we're building up mental health awareness and we're having like World Mental Health Day, things like that, we have to think about what it is that we're actually trying to portray mm-hmm. and what do we actually mean by mental health. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I think one of the things I've written down here is um, it's about expectations. So, you know, I think that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. So essentially, if it depends how people use it and if they use it as a label and a weapon. Yeah. Weapon might be a bit strong. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but so, for example, for myself going through periods of anxiety and depression, I was really, really keen to have any therapist that I spoke to, um, psychotherapists, um, counsellor, CBT therapist, hypnotherapist, um, you know, whatever therapist you can name that I've essentially been to, to diagnose me. And let's yeah. not forget GP as yeah. well. So I was actually diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder. And I was like, woohoo, I've got a disorder. Um, <laughs> you know, and the feeling beyond it, you know me from previous conversations, I like to take it to drill it right down into a, like a personal example. I felt better that I'd had a diagnosis, that I'd yeah. had someone say, this is what's wrong with you. This is your label. Because I was then able to go away and Google it to try and fix yeah. it. But that in itself, how dangerous is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> other therapists, other psych- psychotherapists in particular, would, was, was doing absolutely everything she possibly could to not label. What, and I kept trying to push. And in the end, she said to me, I'm never going to label what's in air quotes wrong with you mm. or what you feel is wrong with you. Because that isn't the way it works. It isn't like... It isn't like a broken leg where there is a set routine, literally a set um, <laughs> routine of how we would go about fixing this. You know, there are in, everyone's individual and everyone needs to focus on individual things. There are certain things that everyone can try. You know, CBT is a very popular, very common thing at the moment that, that GPs would, um, would get people to do, for example. But they, they deliberately shy away from from labeling it mm. well I think the labeling thing is this I think there's something innate in human nature that you, you want to know and throughout history we've tried to put labels on everything we possibly can mm-hmm. and there is something a little bit comforting about knowing that there's a name for something or knowing the perhaps the reasons behind something so like I don't know if you're sat in a traffic jam there's something inside you if, if you can't see more than five or six cars ahead but you know there's something going on I know that I personally feel like angered mm. by not knowing. Yeah. And if if you're sat in your car, stuck in a traffic jam with no idea why, sometimes it's a bit comforting to know why, even though you're, it's not going to change your situation. Yeah. And it's not going to change the course of action that's going to be beneficial to you. But there's something in your head that goes, ah. You know what's funny about that? Like, I think that, I think this is a worthwhile point to make. You know when you're driving along the motorway and there's a, um, a traffic jam on the other side? Yeah. And you go past a crash, so you see the incident, and then as you go further and further and the traffic jam's still going, you do you think that, oh, I know. Yeah. But they don't. <laughs> and somehow you, you think, oh, I, w- I wish you knew. I wish I could tell you. But interestingly... It's easier and pain. If people have heard the podcast I did with, um, with Claire Smith, um, she was talking about... Um, sometimes as a therapist she is a therapist 
and she will um, she will she helps people to change um, things around their physical world that impact their mental health. Yeah. So you know, diet, um, nutrition, uh, sleep patterns, um, exercise, all all different all different things. She's she was saying to me, kind of off air, if you like. She says she finds it quite um, challenging when she'll be talking to a client and she knows what the answer is, if you like. Right. But she realizes that at, that she but she knows even more, or it's even more powerful that she knows it is more powerful if and when that person reaches the conclusion themselves, right? Rather than being told. Yeah. And I and I so recognized that when she was telling me from my own personal experience, I was yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because I've got friends now that I think, oh, I recognise where you are, and I kind of know the way out. But I, but I've thought that same thing, and in fact, I've actually tried to help lead someone out, and her saying that to me has made me think, okay, maybe you just need to be giving the person some space and yeah. asking the right questions so that they come up with those solutions themselves. Yeah, does that well, make sense? Yeah, no, definitely, because it's like I said um, the last time I was here, was that I think it's a lot about perspective. Yeah, and you can't you can't change someone's perspective. That comes from within, doesn't it? Yeah, it so does. I think that is part of the process of of learning about yourself and being introspective. So does that take us on to this wonderful word dichotomy to try and tackle that now? Because um. so you, so because I because I do think because I do think that is relevant actually. If you, yeah. So ex- can you explain to me what you meant by um, does? Um, you've said, does it lead to more people thinking they have a problem? Does it lead to solidifying the dichotomy of good and bad mental health? So what does that mean? You okay. described it well to me last well, night. Well, yeah, so I think that does actually lead back into what we mean by mental health, and it makes us question whether that is the, the phrase or the words that we should be using. So when we talk about a dichotomy, the kind of, the kind of classic dichotomy that people will think of is gender. Mm-hmm. So dichotomous gender is male and female. Mm-hmm. And there would be nothing in between. You're either one or the other. Yeah. And now, whether you subscribe to that belief or not, there's the alternate view is that gender is a continuum mm-hmm. and that we have lots of space on the spectrum between male and female that people inhabit. Yes. And there's all sorts of literature, literature out there Definitely go and have a read of it. It's fantastic. Yeah. But in a mental health perspective, that would mean that by, by using the words mental health, we're creating a dichotomy of either healthy or unhealthy or good mental health and bad mental health. Yes. And it kind of reiterates this idea that there's a, there's a, there's a norm mm. and then there's, there's, a, there's, there's bad things. <laughs> really there's well bad explained. Things. Really well explained. Thank you. And I, I think I think it's a really good point. It's what I've heard referred to previously as like a, a sliding scale, really, and trying to actually change the, the narrative in society and change the language so that actually, um, oh, I, it's it's difficult here. I, I'm actually having an internal conflict with myself around this because I think that being open about mental health, or is let me ask it as a question: Is there an issue with if we were to all adopt this, the view that actually we all have mental health and we're all on this sliding scale, which mm. I do subscribe to, does that actually cause a problem or cause barriers in terms of people saying they're struggling with their mental health? 
you know, are we get do we get too wrapped up then in terminology, and do we take our eye off the ball of what we do to help people? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure. Answer that. No, no, no. <laughs> tell me. Tell me what you think. Um. That's a big question. Yeah. Thank because yeah. <laughs> I think when I think there's a difference, and I think it needs to be addressed between mental mental health awareness and mental I don't know, like mental hygiene. Mm-hmm. So like the the practices that surround mental health, and I feel like that's what mental health awareness need, needs to be more about is is about not raising awareness of like anxiety and depression as is often pushed mm. and not just pushing out statistics that say you know ever ever increasing statistics of how many people are suffering to try and create an awareness that we're all kind of in it together and it's something very relatable because oh. <laughs> it's hard it's but hard. i don't know if it would decrease people's ability to get help because Oh, I don't know. Chris. My feeling is, <laughs> let me tell you this. What my, my feeling is that <clears throat> I think the more we talk about mental health and say the words mental health, I do think that helps normalise something. The more something is repeated, it is just a fact. The more something is repeated, the more it becomes fact in mm-hmm. the world. So the more people talk about something and the higher um, kind of impact, so like the impact of celebrities talking about it and the royals talking about it and... You know, it, it does actually mean that it permeates into society and into people's language, that they're talking about it and they even know what it is. And people who perhaps are kind of stubbornly, um, well, I'm never going to be, I'm not going to let any barriers down and, and right. talk about this, yeah. that might help permeate some of that and it might help erode some of the kind of barriers to people actually seeking some support and help. Absolutely. However, I do think, and I do subscribe to the view of, uh, in fact, I'll just tell the story a bit, which is I went to a present. Uh, I went to a World Mental Health Day. I think it's two years ago now, 2016, and Clark Carlisle, who was a professional footballer and a real advocate for mental health, who threw himself in front of a lorry who was going 60 mile an hour, somehow survived. Um, you know, he didn't want to, but he did, mm-hmm. and he now kind of, he now goes and talks around mental health. And also Alistair Campbell, who was Tony Blair's kind of spin doctor, communications guru guy. Yeah. He was there too. And he was very open and had struggled with his mental health and depression. Right, Actually, yeah. before he got the job working with Tony Blair. Those were the two, they were two of the keynote speakers who were at this event. And one or other of them said, I can't stand this um, statistic. One in four people will, str- will suffer with a mental health condition in their lifetime because it's everyone. And we're all on this sliding scale. Mm. And essentially the... Um, people who struggle with, who are have a mental health condition, if one is low and ten is fantastic, they're just they're they're between one and four, for example, for a sustained period of time. Yeah. You know, but that's it. They're just there for. It doesn't mean they can't come out of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they can't come out of it and go back in. Yeah. But it just we're all there. So yeah. Sometimes we dip. Sometimes we. Sometimes we're at you know one end of the scale, but we're all on there somewhere and, and each day can be different yeah and I think that that's a really important point because we do move up and down it but I think the points where we're likely to seek help or where we're likely to perhaps investigate a little bit more about mental health awareness or sorry if if people are more aware of it 
mm-hmm. and we know that depression and anxiety exist and it's very readily available to find out all the diagnostic criteria when we're then at those low points because we have this hyper awareness and that is the point where we're going to seek help even though we might have come back out of it anyway we then latch on to perhaps a label yeah as anxiety or depression yeah rather than allowing ourselves to kind of fluctuate and the other thing that popped into my head as you were saying that was in answer to the previous question about whether it will stop people accessing help, I think it depends on what we deem as the appropriate help because actually just speaking to friends and family and having someone to talk to is actually probably what we need. Yeah. However, if raising mental health awareness means that more people, and we know they are, more people are accessing health services, mm-hmm. well actually, what um, Simon Wesley who is from the Royal Society of Medicine, he said, we don't need to raise more awareness. We already can't deal with the people who are aware. So the flip side of that is actually, well, the more we increase awareness, the less people can actually access it because the services are so stretched. And that's another issue. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's difficult, that, because that's... Um, surely that should... Or surely an appropriate response to that is we need an increase in the resources to help rather than just only dealing with what we can deal with. But so it you know it perhaps raises prominence in in Parliament or wherever these you know high, more high powered decisions are made. But I've got I think there's a key point here, and I'm um, I do have a slight fear that every podcast I do in the future is going to come back to this point now. Um, but I think it's a really valid one. And again, it's from when I was speaking to, to Claire Smith um, previously. And she was saying to me about how um, with your um, dental care, mm-hmm. she goes, so many people see their dental care as, yeah, they'll brush their teeth, hopefully twice a day. Although I did see some random statistic the other day that something like 40% of people in Britain don't ever brush their teeth. What? I was like, what? That can't That's be true, can it? But anyway, it was some ridiculous, it was a ridiculously high statistic. Anyway, um, the she was saying, what is the most important part of your hygiene when it comes to your teeth? Is it that six-monthly deep clean by the dentist? Or is it when you floss every night? Yeah. And no. actually, it's the daily thing. It's what yeah, you do yeah, every yeah. day. And she used that as a kind of example. And it was really, it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, you know, it's a really good point, actually. And she talks, so she talks about kind of self-calibration. So she'll talk about change little parts of your lifestyle and then actually reflect on it the next day. So I was talking about having eaten a whole pack of 10 Jaffa cakes and then feeling quite rough about it like an hour later. And she was saying, well, you know, reflect on that, maybe learn from it. And perhaps next time you see a pack of Jaffa cakes, you'll think, yeah, we've been here before, Chris. Maybe don't do this. Maybe don't do that. It might not be the best thing for you. Yeah. So, but my point is, if the narrative around it changed to being that society or that the information that was put out there all the time was, if you feel you are struggling and you are going on this sliding scale downwards towards some of the lower numbers you have it within your power to change some things about the way you're living your life as opposed to get yourself down your gp get some medication down your neck go on a cbt course and that'll fix you yeah or that will be our attempt to fix you it's much more about that ownership and people you know it's an an ongoing (laughs) 
process, isn't it? And this is what, this is where that mental hygiene stuff comes in. Mm. What do you mean by mental because hygiene? Because it's it's all it's about the practices that we do every day that keep us in a in a in a good place, as it were. So, I think it's I think there is more of this, and I think it does get pushed that we need to be doing things like mindfulness, mm-hmm. meditation, mm-hmm. Um, all sorts of all sorts of these well-being activities. But I think we can we can push that we can push all that stuff without having to bring mental health and mental illness and anxiety and depression. I think we can we can encourage all that stuff without bringing that into it. Because yeah, actually they're not really related because you wouldn't someone who's suffering from severe depression. I mean, I don't know. This is just me speculating, but I'm not sure you would suggest these kind of I mean, maybe you would. Maybe, I, I, don't I, know. Think, I think you would. I, I think that the way I look at it is that actually, um, you know, I, I've said this before on a podcast around the CBT, for example. For those of, sorry, for those of you who don't know, that's cognitive behavioural therapy. And essentially it's about changing your thoughts, feelings and behaviours um, and understanding how those three things are linked. So I'll say them again, thoughts, feelings and behaviours. Um, so you'll think something, or maybe you'll feel it first. So you'll get a, an uneasy feeling in your stomach because then, because some you've got an event coming up that you're anxious about, and then you'll start thinking, "Oh my God, I can't do that. Oh my God, this is going to be horrendous. This is going to be horrific. The world's going to end." And then you start behaving in a way that's like um, you're highly strung, you're um, hypersensitive to things people say to you, and you know. So, and all of those three things are linked. So when you kind of go through this process. And it can be a very effective process going through CBT. Um, there are lots of kind of exercises that you do and lots of exercises that you do written down. So you could like keep a thought diary or um, you do something called the judge and the jury, which I could talk about another time. But um, the idea is you'll, you write them down to start with or as you're going through like a six or 12 week course. Yeah. But eventually you don't need to write them down because you just do it in your head. Right, yeah. And then the eventually you go, so you, so the idea being that what you originally thought, oh, this is going to be a nightmare, that same thought 12 weeks later, you'll be able to process it. Okay, that feeling and that thought, okay, yeah, well, is this nightmare likely to happen? What's the best outcome? Best outcome is it turns out actually it's brilliant. Worst outcome is I drop down dead and it's horrendous. It's probably going to be somewhere in the middle, yeah? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's kind of where you, where you get to and... So it evens you out a bit and you think, okay, I feel a bit better. That's kind of the idea. I've butchered it as always, but this is it from my experience. (laughs) But I didn't do the homework. So I did a six-week CBT course and I was one of those people that was like, no, no, I want the hour session every week to be the thing that fixes me. I don't want to go and do the work on myself. (laughs) And it's only like, you know, however many months or years later that the penny dropped of kind of, yeah, maybe if I'd engaged with that, but maybe I wasn't in a place to because I was yeah, feeling no, so it's down. it's difficult, isn't it? But the fact of the matter is anyway that I don't think the two things that we're talking about here are mutually exclusive. I think that raising awareness around mental health is a very positive thing. And what I've put down here is, um, and this was something that Alistair Campbell said actually, he was talking about cancer um, and he was saying that back in the 1970s, 80s, maybe even 90s, they would call it the big C and people didn't even say the word cancer. Yeah. You know, you couldn't even bring yourself to say the word. <clears throat> and all of a sudden it became so prevalent that there became lots of charities make, uh, taking in money for cancer research. And now if someone has cancer, it's something that's spoken about very openly. 
yeah. and that actually there are lots of um, resources that people can find out about information of how to help themselves, how to help their families, and etc. etc. So that raising of awareness, he very much likened it to mental health, but mental health is still at that position of calling itself the big MH. You know, like, Do you think so? Well, I don't think we're quite at the beginning no. of it. I think we've come a long way. I think we've actually come quite a long way already. I think, I, I don't know, I think with depression and anxiety, I think are very widely talked about now in society. And I don't think there's any sort of barriers to, or any real barriers to actually discussing that. I think we've got a long way to go for the more stigmatised mental illnesses like uh, schizophrenia and bipolar. Oh, I I agree with that. But I think even with anxiety and depression, which are the kind of most prevalent, I think that in particular there are certain, um, certain demographics within society. So like um, men, um, men in their 40s, um, might as well look in a mirror, but you know, <laughs> that, that, that actually there is, there is still that stigma attached and, and that you know, they don't want to talk about it and they do feel that it's a real weakness and they don't want to admit it or address it. And you know, I think um, I'm going to get the statistics wrong, but I know the suicide rates in men of that age group are very, very high. Mm. And in fact, you know, one, of the, one, of, one of the age groups, and I can't remember which, you know, it's it's something like the highest um, mortality rate is due to suicide. So there's definitely there are definitely groups and areas that you know. So whether a more targeted approach is required, or um, but either way, I you know, I'm not sure. The, the the whole purpose of this podcast wasn't for us to come up with a solution and for you to start agreeing with me or vice versa. No, no. It's to put the information out there. Yeah. That people can deal with it. How you know, uh, do what they want with it. But I. <laughs> I do think that there is a threat that you could, it could become so hypersensitive, it could become so kind of everywhere that it that that people are kind of badging themselves with it. Yeah, it just. I think there is this this danger that it becomes trivialised, mm. and that actually, it, the more we push these statistics of so many people suffer from it, so many people suffer from it. It actually becomes almost too relatable. Well, I think as well. I agree. I agree with that. But the other thing that that you've said there, and again, it's around language, and that is the terminology "suffer." Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and that and that is. I've actually tried to. I wonder how successfully I've done this. I'm not sure, but I have tried to substitute that word "suffer" with "live with." So right. I so I live with anxiety, but even that, and I've said this previously, but you know. I've always been described as a warrior, and therefore I started describing myself as a warrior. Yeah. And then it's and almost it like sticks, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. But we did discuss this morning, actually, about how in certain situations, anxiety or an anxious personality traits, perhaps, if that's the thing, can actually be quite beneficial. Yes. I, yeah. I, so I, yeah, we do I, maybe need to change the way that we that we look at it it's part it, it's part of your personality isn't it yeah so it you know and if you wish to and you choose to address it then you know there are some tools and there are things out there that you can do to address it but it is about that self um, that mental health um, hygiene I like that expression mm. um, because what you, yeah what you said about being a self-fulfilling prophecy as well I think that is quite for for a couple of reasons I think that's quite appropriate because because now we have the ability to go on the internet and fill out all sorts of questionnaires and 
and go, oh, right, you might be... I mean, they're not going to say you're, you've got anxiety or depression or you might be at risk of. Mm. And we start to think that we, we have something. And I think there's almost some, some kind of, like, neurotropism where you, like, will almost shift your mentality or sh- sh- somehow alter the way that you think and feel because you think you've got some sort of problem. Yeah, yeah. And especially, I'm, I mean, this is me, again, speculating, but with social media and the way it's become much more widely, widely talked about on social media, well, as humans, we have this innate desire to fit in. Mm-hmm. So actually, if the conversation is everyone going, and I, this, <laughs> look how, like, crap my my life is Mm -hmm. and i'm not i i think i've probably over trivialized it there but there is a desire to perhaps want to fit in with that and to go oh well i suffer with that too or i i maybe feel this way as well so maybe i've i don't i don't know i think there's nothing wrong with having that kind of um empathy with people if you but i do i think it's i think the the true kind of the but of the problem here is if people start using it as a crutch yeah i think and if people start using it as a um a way of getting certain things a mm. way of you know getting time off work or getting a way of kind of trying to attract sympathy or of you know because it because uh, daft as it sounds because it sounds like it's, this should be obvious but depression is no joke you know anxiety is no joke mm. these are real things and they are, and they and are. This is what I mean about it coming a bit trivialized. People will say, "Oh, I'm feeling a bit depressed today. Oh, I'm having, I'm having, I'm having a bit of a depressed week. Oh, I'm feeling really anxious." But use that those medical terms, yeah, in a really non-medical way. And I'm not sure there is such a thing as being a bit depressed. No, there's, you can no. There's, there is essentially, you know, it, it's interesting because my so with my depression, I had a conversation with someone recently, and. And said, yeah, I, you know, I, right now, I don't feel like I'm ever going to be in that depressed state ever again because of the things that I've, the tools that I've equipped myself with and the way that I now think is so vastly different to yeah. the way I used to think. But, you know, never say never. And I've always, but I always used to relate it to being, to like alcoholism and say, you know, actually, I'm recovering. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I yeah. could slip back into it. Um, depending on things that happen, but again, yeah, like you say, that is a medical thing, and it is a a diagnosed thing. And there are other people that there are people that do say, "God, I'm feeling depressed," and you think, "Well, I, yeah, but not like in that sense." So yeah, yeah, I I understand it. I think it's a it's a, a debate that can like rage on and on, and um, I don't think there's I don't think necessarily I'm personally on the fence really I do think there is a danger of, of it becoming a too trivial and people talking about it too much to the point where everyone's going yeah I've got, you know I've got anxiety and depression in I you know like and it's like oh, um, I don't know why like, all southerners <laughs> like me that's like <laughs> um, but but at the same time I do think that the um, ability to be able to talk about these things really openly is such a powerful thing that I would yeah. never want to be saying to people, you know, don't engage with it, hold it back, hide it, 
You know, I, th I think right now we're in a position where I'd still be saying to people, let's talk about it, let's get it out in the open. Absolutely, but that doesn't have to entail putting labels on things, and I feel like that is part of the danger of the over-awareness, because it's really pushed alongside statistics of anxiety and depression and things mm. like that. And I, I don't think, I think that's maybe the unhealthy bit. We can, we can be open about our feelings without having to use medical terminology for how yes. we feel. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I think that's fair enough. As always, as happened the last two times, can you believe it? That is it. That's time up. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> it's, been really, it's been a real pleasure talking to you again. I really enjoy talking to you. We'll have to have you back on at some point. I know you're going back to where you come from, um, <laughs> so we, we haven't got that option over the, the coming weeks, but at some point we'll definitely have you back on. Um, we're going to wrap it up now, so... Thank you, Chester. Thank you for having me again. Um, for you guys out there, thank you for listening. Please follow me on Twitter, at Mentalcoms, that's M-E-N-T-A-L-C-O-N-V-S. Uh, another episode of Mental Conversations will be winging its way to you soon. Thank you.